It's an age-old question. It's been asked since ancient times. It's being asked today. What is truth? Now, you may have heard that Pilate asked that question when he was interviewing Jesus. Some enemies of Jesus arrested him, took him to Pilate, asked Pilate to crucify him. And Pilate was rather mystified by Jesus, and he asked the question, Generally speaking, we think of it as he asked it rhetorically because he didn't wait around to find out the answer. But he asked, what is truth? Well, it's a question for today, and I hope you'll wait around to find the answer because we want to talk about that very subject today on the program, Faith Is. Now, we're going to talk about faith for sure because we want to develop absolute confidence in the trustworthiness of God, and that's what we say faith is, absolute confidence in the trustworthiness of God. But if we're going to have that kind of confidence in God, we're going to have to make sure we understand and know the truth. And so we're going to ask that question, what is truth? And we're going to talk about what that means and the implications of that today on the program. I'm Pastor Rick Stevens, and yes, this is Faith Is, and yes, we're going to talk about important things like we usually do, and yes, we want to challenge each other to stretch in God's direction. We want to stretch toward His high calling, not shrink away like so many people do today. We want to press on and press through because we believe God is calling us up to rise above the circumstances of the, of the times, the confusion of our days the harassment, the difficulties, all of the challenges, God is calling his people to have confidence in him and to press on. And so we want to talk about this very important subject, this idea of truth. Because we live in a day when lies are everywhere. And people are talking about lies all the time. It used to be in public conversation, even amongst the people who were most vocal in public conversation, the people you would see in the media, they were reluctant to call someone a liar or to say that a person lied. No such reluctance exists today. None at all. And yet, we have less desire and interest in the truth than ever before in my lifetime. We want to create truth in our own image. I guess you could say that's what people have been trying to do about God for a long time, create him in their own image. But we want to talk about that which is true. We want to talk about the answer to Pilate's question and the answer to people's question today. What is truth? What can I depend upon? Who can I believe? Is there anything I can rely on? And the answer is, of course, there is. And I want to help walk us through the idea so we understand this idea of truth and its importance. Now, to begin with, we often think, from a Christian perspective anyway, we often think of truth in two ways. We often think of truth with a capital T, meaning that that such a thing as truth exists and is reflected in the life, teachings, the work of Jesus. So we'll use sometimes a a capital T on the word truth referring to Jesus. We also use the word truth with a small case T, and in that sense, we're talking about truth as that which conforms to reality, that which we know and can verify. Now today, we want to say 
I have my truth. And what we mean by that is I have my reality. And it has no connection to that which is real. It's a fantasy. It's make-believe. It's wishful thinking. But we want to cut through all of that and see why it's so important for us to understand the concept of truth and to seek it. Now, last week we talked about eschatology, that big word that I said don't be intimidated by. And I still mean that. Don't be intimidated by eschatology. It's merely a discussion of, a study of, that which will happen at the end of time or when the Lord comes back or what we sometimes refer to as the day of the Lord. That's all that is. And we looked at that from 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, and we didn't answer every question, but we tried to put our minds at ease and our hearts at rest because that was the point of the letter to the Thessalonian church, and it's the point today. We don't have to be anxious about today. We don't have to be anxious about tomorrow. When we trust God, when we have faith, when we have absolute confidence in the trustworthiness of God, we can rest assured in that, and we don't have to be alarmed, afraid, We don't have to be shaken by world events. We don't have to have our minds in alarm all the time. We don't have to be the kind of people who worry if they don't have something to worry about. God wants us to be at rest, at ease, to understand what's going on and to trust him. Part of our discussion last week had to do with the way Satan works in our world. And yes, we have to come to grips with the reality there is a reality of evil, we call him Satan. The Old Testament doesn't like to name Satan. They thought about it differently, and the way they used language was a little different. But we call him straight up, we call him Satan, to identify this person who wreaks havoc on the world and who represents and actually is the author of evil. So one of the things that we discovered in our discussion last week, looking at the end of time, is that at the end of time, the coming of the lawless one will be apparent. And that lawlessness is at work in our world today. What that means is people who refuse to follow God, specifically in New Testament times in the context of the Jewish faith, it meant someone who was not in conformity with the covenant, who was violating the terms of the covenant. And I want to read a couple of verses to kind of catch us up on where we were last week. I don't want to do all of what we did last week, but I want to focus on this concept of truth and what is truth and why it matters today. So in Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 9, we read this, and I'm reading from the New Revised Standard Version Update Edition. The coming of the lawless one is apparent in the working of Satan, who uses all power, signs, lying wonders, and every kind of wicked deception for those who are perishing because they refused to love the truth and so be saved. For this reason, God sends them a powerful delusion, leading them to believe what is false, so that all who have not believed the truth but took pleasure in unrighteousness will be condemned. So a few takeaways from that, just to kind of catch us up on where we were last week, and to get us focused on this idea of truth. Clearly, from these verses, we can see that Satan uses every possible means to deceive people. We should not be deceived, and we should not be surprised that he will try to deceive us. Okay, We must not be deceived, we should not be deceived, and we must be on guard to realize that Satan will use every 
possible means to deceive people, to fool people, to trick people. By contrast, rest assured, God never sets you up to be fooled, tricked, led astray in any way. But Satan, it's clear here from the scriptures, he will use every kind of wicked deception for those who are perishing. Now, what that means for those who are perishing is, and it goes on to explain, that Satan deceives the people who refuse to love the truth. Now, at one time, it seemed to me, much of the Western world, at least, had a commitment to the pursuit of truth. We wanted to know that which is true and right. We wanted to be sure we weren't believing a lie, we weren't being deceived. But here the scriptures talk about that Satan deceives people who refuse to love the truth. And we live in such a time. People hear what God says, but they refuse to believe it. They refuse to embrace it. They refuse to live their lives according to what God says is true. And so they refuse to love the truth. And so Satan deceives those people. Indeed, this couple of verses says that God even reinforces that deception and it leads to delusion. God allows them to to go deeper into their deception until they are deluded completely believing what is false. Now, for some of us, that seems preposterous. How could anybody go down that path and completely believe what is false? Well, take a deep breath and look around the world today, and I think you can come to a better understanding that that is not only possible, but it's happening. People will believe what they want to believe without regard to whether or not it is true. They want to make it up and believe what they say. Now, the passage goes on to say they didn't believe the truth, but took pleasure in unrighteousness. Now, see, I think that's where this comes down to, that people want to do whatever they want to do. They want to take pleasure in what God says to avoid. When God says, leave that alone, stay away from that, they want to embrace it and even take pleasure in it. And so they don't believe the truth. They reject the truth so they can take pleasure in what they want to take pleasure in, And that results in, according to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, that results in condemnation. Now, please understand, in case you missed it, that condemnation is not because God wants to condemn them. You follow the thinking of those verses in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, and it's clear that what the Bible is teaching us is that Satan will try every trick to deceive people, He deceives the people who refuse to love the truth. So there's a big, big indicator right there. If you don't love the truth, then you are setting yourself up for being deceived by Satan. So he uses every possible means to deceive people. He deceives people who reject the truth, who refuse to love the truth. And God comes along and reinforces that deception that people have chosen for themselves They've chosen to believe what is true, and it leads them to a delusion because they didn't believe the truth. They didn't believe the truth because they refused to believe the truth because they wanted to take pleasure in unrighteousness. That which God says don't do, they wanted to do, and not only did they want to do it, but they wanted to take pleasure in doing it. And that leads quite naturally and understandably and how, how would you say, without, without hardly any question or confusion, 
When you take pleasure in unrighteousness, it leads to God's condemnation. Because God has said to us, that's the result of not following me. It's sad, truly sad. This is not something we want to rejoice about. This is sad that people take this path, that they refuse to believe the truth. They refuse to embrace and love the truth. They allow themselves to be deceived, and that leads to a deepening delusion because they believe what is false. It's not only that they're rejecting what is true, but they actually give themselves to the belief of what is false. They take pleasure in the unrighteousness that they're embracing as true and right, and so consequently, because they are unrighteous, they set themselves up for They invite condemnation, and God doesn't withhold that from them. He gives them what they ask for. See, that's what people miss a lot of times, that that God gives us what we ask for. He doesn't give us what we deserve. I mean, if, if he gave us what we deserve, there'd be no hope for any of us. That's what grace is about. When you get what you don't deserve, that's a real good thing, the old song used to say. And I, I love that turn of phrase because that's grace. God doesn't want to condemn but he will allow people to choose condemnation and he will give them what they choose. So we're going to talk about this idea of truth in a little more detail today. And I, and I was, I have been for a while kind of fascinated by this expression. I'm not quite sure why it got my attention, why it fascinates me, but I have seen every now and then, and you hear it every now and then, this idea of here comes a truth bomb, or someone will post something online and call it a truth bomb. Well, I've found that whole concept very interesting and and amazing because I, I guess I've always been a person who looks for that which is true, and I never thought about the truth as being a bomb. But maybe in our day it really is. Maybe it's such a shock to people's system that that's why we have a truth bomb. I looked into it just a little bit, not very much, because it wasn't really worth the time or the energy. But apparently the whole idea, this phrase of a truth bomb, came from a television show, a sitcom, some years ago. And I thought that was interesting, but a character apparently used that phrase, truth bomb, in that sitcom. And now it's become kind of a popular phrase when somebody's about to tell you something that's true they call it a truth bomb well I I thought that was interesting now why why call it a bomb I mean if it's the truth it's the truth but then I thought well they call it a bomb because the truth destroys that which is false and you may not like it but it's going to explode your misbelief or your deception or the lie you have believed and so they call it a truth bomb to get people's attention and to blow up that which is false now, it's also interesting to me, and, and I don't know why this is so interesting to me, but it's interesting to me that people seem to enjoy launching these truth bombs. When I've seen that expression used, it seems to be used with, with a kind of a gleeful excitement that, here we go, I'm going to bomb you with the truth. And I thought, well, that's kind of curious. Why would, why would we take that approach? And, and maybe it's winsome. I don't know. Maybe... Maybe it's just an expression to get people ready so that when you tell them the truth, they're prepared for it and it doesn't shock them as much. It could be because they just enjoy being right. Well, we all, all enjoy being right. And, and when we pursue the truth, it, that's, it is right. It, it can't be anything else. But it's also interesting to me that 
and I want to remind all of us that the Bible does tell us the truth. Always. And I suppose, in, in a sense, we could say that uh, the Bible is the ultimate truth bomb. I, I don't know where the Bible ever calls itself that or positions it to be a truth bomb, as we use that expression. But it clearly is the truth. And if you want to think about it as a truth bomb, I guess that's okay. Um, and then the next sort of question that comes up is, if you really do believe the Bible is the truth, if you do really agree that the Bible is a truth bomb, then what keeps you from following Jesus and aligning your life with the truth? You see, that's the real key here. It's not about knowing that which is true and understanding and being able to, to tell the difference between truth and falsehood. It really comes down to, are you aligning your life with that which is true? See, that's the real test of all of this. Do we live it out? Now, aligning your life with the truth is not very complicated. It might be challenging. It's why we talk about faith and faith being absolute confidence in the trustworthiness of God. Because when we believe that, when we understand that we can trust God absolutely, that he is fully trustworthy, then we're much more likely to align ourselves with the truth because God tells us the truth. So what do I mean by aligning your life with the truth? See, this is absolutely critical because the consequences of not, I've already talked about from 2 Thessalonians, the consequences of not aligning with the truth and living our lives in alignment with the truth is condemnation because we believe falsehood, and the more we believe falsehood, the more deluded we become, and we celebrate and rejoice in doing all the wrong things, and it leads to condemnation. So let me challenge you to think about your life, and do you align your life with the truth? I hope you're saying, well, yes, of course I do. I wouldn't be listening to this kind of a program if I didn't. Well, maybe, and by the way, maybe, you listen to the rest of the program, maybe this is the kind of program you should recommend to your friends. Maybe this one in particular, your friends who struggle with truth versus falsehood. But anyway, small plug there, shameless plug. But it would be good if it's helpful for you to recommend it to somebody else. That's why we do it. So the question is, if you believe the Bible is the truth, if you believe that Jesus tells us the truth, if you believe he lived out the truth, then do you align your life with the truth, especially the truth as the Bible reveals it? Well, we said earlier the truth is sometimes viewed as a capital T truth and represented by the life of Jesus, the person and work of Jesus. We also said the truth, when we think of it as small case T truth, has to do with that which conforms to reality. So if we're going to understand that Jesus tells us the truth and is the truth, and, and we need to understand reality, then the question becomes, do you align your life with the truth? And by that I mean this. Do you align your life with the Ten Commandments? You know, so many people have been wanting to defend the Ten Commandments and having them posted here, there, and everywhere, and I think that'd be fantastic. I would love to see them posted everywhere. But more than that, 
I would love to see the people who most vigorously advocate for putting the Ten Commandments up on a classroom wall or a courthouse wall, I would love to see those people align themselves with the Ten Commandments and then worry about posting them. Let's not post something for someone else. Let's align our lives first. Then we can talk about other people. So do you align your life with the Ten Commandments? Second idea is do you align your life with the Sermon on the Mount? You can read the Sermon on the Mount in the early chapters of Matthew. And there's a lot of challenging stuff there for people in our day. And so if you really do love the truth, then you will align yourselves with the teaching of Jesus encapsulated there in just a few chapters in the Sermon on the Mount. Let's break it down a little more simply. When Jesus was asked to summarize all that he expected and that God expected of people, all that was in the law, he said two things. Love God with everything you've got and love your neighbor as yourself. Or as we say at our church, love God generously and people graciously. So if you align your life with the truth, then it's a fair question to ask, are you generous with God? Do you love God with everything you've got? Does he have every area of your life as his? Do you love God generously? Do you give him your time? Do you give him your energy? Do you give him your abilities, your talents? After all, he gave you all of those. So do you turn them back to him and use them to serve him and his kingdom? Do you give your money to support God's work in the world? Do you love God generously? If you align with the truth, then the answer of necessity has to be yes. And if you can't say yes, then my quick admonition is fix it. Second part of that was, do you love people graciously? God tells us to lead with love. A lot of people disagree with what Christians believe and do, but that doesn't mean we have the opportunity to condemn them. That's God's business, not ours. The Bible teaches us to love them. And so do we love them graciously? I think we need to. Now, let me talk about one example. I use this all the time. Uh, People probably tired of hearing me say this. You might be. I probably used it here more than once. I don't keep track. But let's take one example and kind of help us understand what I mean by the need to align ourselves with the truth. So let me ask you this. Do you remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy? What we're talking about is do you have a sense that Sunday, that's our Sabbath, and I understand the difference between Sabbath being Saturday and or Sunday, and I understand that some people go to church on Saturday instead of Sunday. That's fine. I'm not choosing one and only one day. I use Sunday because that's what the vast majority of Christians in, in our world choose as the day to honor God. So my question is pretty simple. Do you keep Sunday as a holy day, separate from all of the other things? Or maybe I could ask it another way. How many times do we allow things to crowd out Sunday worship? Now, please don't defend yourself to me. You don't answer to me. I'm so glad you don't, and so are you. But I think it's a fair question that you need to to wrestle with God about. You know, I think God wants to know how we handle Sunday. So if, you, if you're struggling with that, talk to God, make your defense to him, see what he says. I have some ideas of what he might say, but I don't know for sure. I don't know your situation. 
I don't want to presume. I don't want to make you guilty because of my convictions. I want to make you honest before God. See, I would love to hear something I've never heard. I've never had anyone come to me and tell me a story of how they said no to something in order to keep Sunday sacred. Now, think about that. People probably do that. They just don't come and tell me. They don't want to brag on themselves. Okay, I get that. But I would love to hear a story sometime of how someone said no and explained to the person or the people involved that they were saying no to that because God comes first and they won't let anyone or anything come before God. Now think about that. Nobody has ever said, Pastor, it took all that I had because I love these people and I didn't want to be that person, but I had to tell them that God comes first. Boy, wouldn't that be a powerful statement? I have had people say to me, and I'm not exposing anything they haven't said publicly, so please understand that, but I'm never ever going to tell you who it was, and it was more than one person, okay? But they've said to me on Sunday, well, Pastor, I won't be here next week because my children are arriving at the airport at the same time as church, and I'm going to meet them and pick them up. And I've often wished I could say to them, and I couldn't, and I understand why, I've often wanted to say to them, are your children close to God or far from God? And in the instances that I can remember, I knew that the children were not close to God. And I wish those parents could have said to those grown-up children, I love you dearly, and I will be there to pick you up, but I won't be there until after church because God comes first. And I want you to know that I love you, but I can't love you the way I need to unless I put God first. Well, that's a lot to say, Pat. Yeah, it is, but you need to think about that. You see, I have a little experience with that. I've had a couple times in my life, two that I can remember. Thankfully, I only remember two. There may have been more. When I let people or circumstances crowd out Sunday observance for me. And yes, I know as a pastor, my week is different. And Sunday week in and week out is different. I get that. But there were a couple of times. There are a few during every year. But these happened some time ago. There were a couple of times that I didn't have church responsibilities. But I let people and circumstances affect my Sunday observance. They weren't particularly pressuring me. They weren't making it hard for me, and and I could have pushed back in a way that I didn't. And yes, God forgives, and I know that, and I'm grateful for that. But even so, I carry the regret of knowing that I let that happen. Now, some people will say, well, pastor, don't be so hard on yourself. That's really a small thing. Well, maybe so. Maybe it is a small thing. But apparently God thinks it was significant, or I wouldn't remember it. It's not that God heaps on the guilt. That's not what I'm saying at all. But I remember it, and it's a lesson learned. You see, the trouble with so many of us is we run into these things that that we decide are small things. And we decide they should be small things to God. But if God is pressing you on something, and you know the truth about it, and you're not willing to live up to it, then you need to come to grips with that. Because when God presses on us about something like that, we call it conviction. We understand it's the Holy Spirit talking to us, and we need to listen and take heed. 
Very important. Listen and take heed. Because if it's important enough to God that you're thinking about it, then it's important. So let's, let, me, let me make it a little bit even more challenging. While we're talking about Sunday, have you looked ahead? Yes, you're right. Christmas Day is on Sunday this year. What a great thing that is. We get to celebrate the arrival of the Savior of the world on the Lord's Day. Now, some people, and I haven't yet seen it, I expect I will, will start saying something like this. Oh, man, it's, it's a busy time of the year, and, and Christmas is such a special time with family, and the kids have a certain ritual on Christmas morning that they've come to enjoy. Uh, can't we just skip church this one Sunday? After all, we're going to Christmas Eve service the night before. Won't God understand? And, and I, as a pastor, begin to die a little bit inside when I hear those kinds of things. Fortunately, I don't expect to hear that at our church. I think people understand that. I expect to see it pop up here and there. But let's think about it. God sent the Savior of the world to deliver us from evil. And Jesus, because of sin, became sin for us and died to pay the penalty for sin. Now, we want God to tell us that we don't have to honor him on the Lord's Day because that's Jesus' birthday and we can have a party for ourselves and forget about Jesus. You see, if you believe the Bible, then you need to think carefully about how you would answer that question. Well, pretty challenging so far today on the program, and and it's all about truth, and and it's in, in big ways and small ways, and you need to sort out for yourself what ways those are. Remember, it's not up to me to tell you what God is saying to you. It is up to me to talk to you about what the Bible says and to tell you what I think God wants you to know. So we'll keep doing that. You take a break, I'll take a break. We'll be back on the other side and continue our exploration of truth. Cold and flu season is here. Wouldn't it be great if you had a way to minimize airborne viral threats? Well, now there is, and it's a povidone iodine-based antiviral nasal spray called Cofix RX. You might even say it's just what the doctor ordered. To reduce your chance of getting hurt, you wear a safety belt when you're driving. To limit sun damage, you wear sunscreen on the beach. Cofix RX is just like that. It's an additional layer of protection. It's sold by thousands of pharmacists and medical doctors nationwide. It's made right here in the USA. Again, it's a povidone iodine-based antiviral nasal spray. You've heard them talk about it here on the Outloud Network over and over again. Check out cofixrx.com. That's C-O-F-I-X-R-X.com for a retailer near you or use coupon code OUTLOUD for 20% off at cofixrx.com. Hello, I'm Ben Marble, MD, and I founded MyFreeDoctor.com as a donation-supported, faith-based nonprofit with a mission to save lives by delivering free doctor visits to patients in all 50 states of America. MyFreeDoctor.com treats a broad range of health concerns like COVID-19, long COVID, sinus infections, urinary tract infections, rashes, medication refills, and more. So please visit MyFreeDoctor.com, where we're healing America one person at a time. These days, every time you turn on the news, it seems like there's a new threat to your health. Maintaining a strong immune system has never been more critical. Advanced Nutrition Company, Healthy Cell, created Immune Super Boost to help you strengthen your immunity. Unlike other supplements that don't work, Immune Super Boost is not a pill. It's a gel you swallow 
with ultra-absorption of science-backed nutrients proven to support immunity, like vitamin C, D3, zinc, elderberry, and echinacea. These physician-formulated gels come in a small gel pack. Tear off the top and shoot it down, or mix it in water. Boost your immunity. Go to HealthyCell.com and use limited time code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first order. Risk-free. Love it or your money back. Guaranteed. HealthyCell.com. Code OUTLOUD. HealthyCell.com. Code OUTLOUD. Welcome back. I'm Pastor Rick Stevens, and you are listening to Faith Is, where we stretch in God's direction, and we understand that faith is absolute confidence in the trustworthiness of God. I'm the pastor of Diplomat Wesleyan Church in Cape Coral, Florida. Yes, we're the place that Hurricane Ian visited a while back, and we're getting our way through it. We're a church of people just like you. We follow what the Bible says. We pursue the truth. We do our best to honor God. We are not perfect. None of us are, but we're going to be faithful. We're determined to do that for sure. And we bring you this program because we want it to be helpful. Sometimes we have to talk about straight things, and sometimes people might say, wow, that's a big dose of, yeah, sometimes it is a big dose. And today's one of those days we've been talking about truth. And sometimes people have trouble aligning themselves with the truth. And one of the things that I've been asking us on the program today is, do we align our lives with the truth? And I've been challenging us in some straight up ways. And and so I want to continue along that line and then talk some more about this idea of truth before we finish. So I ask you about aligning your life to the truth. If you believe the truth, do you align your life to it? And I suggested that we shouldn't take lightly even the things that we think are small things. Because if they're big enough for them to be on our mind, if God has used those incidences to speak to us, then we should listen. We call that conviction, not condemnation, conviction. We call that God trying to get our attention so he can give us a better life, so we can conform our lives to the truth and enjoy that better life. So let me ask you another question. By now you're deciding whether you believe the Bible is the truth or not. So let me help us think about it this way. If you believe the Bible is the truth, or if you believe it might be the truth, then let me ask, do you spend intentional time reading and absorbing biblical truth? Now, every time I say reading, I often think about people who don't enjoy reading, or maybe have harder time putting aside a few minutes for reading, and they can listen more easily than read. That's fine. If you have an audible Bible, listening is, is reading, as far as I'm concerned in this setting. The important thing is, will we expose ourselves to the Bible and then absorb biblical truth? And by that, I mean absorb biblical truth. Are we incorporating that into our lives? Now, I'm not thinking of this as how much time do you give to it? A lot of times people want to say, you got to spend X number of minutes in the Bible every day. That's not what I'm getting at here. What I'm getting at is, do you allow the Bible to inform your thinking so that then you conform your behavior to the Bible's truth? That's what I'm getting at. So if you believe the Bible is true, do you spend intentional time reading, absorbing, thinking about, meditating, the Bible calls it, 
that truth so that it becomes a part of who you are and you live it out. You say yes to the things God wants you to do and you say no to the things God says. No, you leave that alone. That's what I mean by do we absorb it and do we live it out. So let's think about the truth in a little different way just so we can understand that a little bit more intentionally and deeply. There's a very fascinating verse in the Bible that you've probably heard and lots of people have have used it. Could be new to you, and that's understandable too. But Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Now, right away in our world, that gets people's attention. They say, well, that's pretty exclusive. You mean you can't get to God anyway than through Jesus? And that is what he says. All right, that's not what I say. That's what he says. And you don't really need to pay attention to what I say unless what I say aligns with what he says. And if he says it, then you better pay attention to it. So let's break that down a little bit and see if we can understand it a little bit better. Notice that Jesus does not say, I show the way. He says, I am the way. And that's important because Jesus lived a life that was sinless, and he lived it for a purpose. He lived it to take sin on himself. The Bible talks about that, saying that Jesus became sin for us. So Jesus became sin for us. Now, sin destroys. Ultimately, it leads people to condemnation. We talked about that when people believe that which is false and allow themselves to be led down that path of even rejoicing in unrighteousness or sin. Well, we know sin destroys because it leads to condemnation. But here's what I mean by Jesus is the way. Jesus destroyed sin because he became sin. He gave his life to destroy sin, to pay the penalty for sin, and consequently, that payment of penalty opened the way to God for all of us. So Jesus is the way because he took care of that which is in our way to getting to God, and sin is what's in our way. And so Jesus took care of that. Now he becomes the way because he satisfied, answered the sin problem. It's also important to understand that that Jesus embodies the truth reality. Jesus said, I am the way and the truth. So he is the truth, and by that We mean he reflects reality with everything he did and everything he taught us. So when we look at his teachings, when we look at his death, his burial, and resurrection, we understand that reflects something about reality that we need to understand and we need to come to grips with. Well, part of what we need to understand that he lived a sinless life, but he allowed himself to be killed. He died. So we look at that and we understand, okay, he died and paid the penalty for what we did. His teachings then, because we have the opportunity to to be in right relationship with God, his teachings then lead to righteous living. Imagine a world where everybody followed what Jesus taught. Imagine a world where nobody did that which is sinful or wrong as the Bible defines it. Imagine a world where there was no lying, cheating, stealing, harassing, murder, violence of any kind. Imagine a world that reflected that reality that we get from the life of Jesus. So we look at him as the truth because his teachings, his death, burial, and resurrection reflects reality. As as a sinless person, he took the penalty when he didn't need to. 
and we are the beneficiaries of that. You see, part of what we need to understand about Jesus allowing himself to become sin for us is that that is an indication that God takes sin very seriously. See, Jesus became sin to pay the penalty for all sin, and he demonstrated by doing that that God absolutely intends to annihilate sin. We sometimes misunderstand and, and misthink this business of why did Jesus have to die? But he became sin for us, and God allowed him to die to destroy sin. See, that's just a beginning glimpse at what God's going to do in the day of the Lord when he completely, completely obliterates sin. Then in resurrection, so that's death, burial, he died, he took on himself, and went to the grave, so we wouldn't have to, and we could ultimately live, and that's what resurrection is about. So in Jesus' life, when he says, I am the way, the truth, then much of the truth is that not only did God want to obliterate sin, but in resurrection, God shows us that it's not enough to destroy sin. He wants to completely overcome sin in resurrection. In other words, we can have life in spite of sin. While sin would lead to death, God, because of resurrection, overcomes all of that so we don't have to experience death. Jesus said, I am the way and the truth, and that's represented in his life. And he says, and the life, way, truth, and life. Now, what's he mean by life? Well, certainly, when you think of it from a Christian perspective, you have to think of eternal life. And yes, that's an important concept. And yes, we have to keep both views of life, life here and life eternal in mind and, and understand what we're talking about when we talk about that, there, that Jesus comes to give life. Ultimately, we know physically we die, but we live eternally with God because death to God is simply a journey from here to there. And so if we're going to have the best life here and there, then we understand that Jesus comes to give life. Now, Jesus made a very intriguing statement in John chapter 10, verse 10. He said, I am come that they may have life and have it abundantly. So Jesus comes to give us life and life abundantly. Another English translation, the message says, I came these are the words of Jesus, I came so they can have real and eternal life, more and better life than they ever dreamed of. So what's he talking about here? People say, well, Jesus just wants to tell me what I can't do. No, he doesn't want to tell you just what you can't do. He wants to tell you what you're permitted to do as well. We tend to focus on the things that Jesus says don't. Now, why does he tell us not to do certain things? It's really pretty simple. When you do the things Jesus says don't, it's called sin. And sin is bad for you. It leads to condemnation. It leads to death. So when Jesus says, I came that they might have life and have it abundantly or have a more and better life than they ever dreamed of, here's what he means. It means that we begin to live our lives following his teachings and his example. So when Jesus says, do this, we do it. And our life gets better. We go along for a while and Jesus says, okay, now do this. And we do it. And life gets better. 
Now, life doesn't get better with the flip of a switch. Life doesn't get better just because all of a sudden one day we decide to follow Jesus. There can be an immediate and dramatic improvement, but sometimes it results from our willingness to continue on the way of Jesus and do what he continues to tell us to do. So step by step, he leads us to put into our life or take out of our life the things that he has in mind. So he might tell us, you need to do this. You need to help your neighbor. Okay, I'll help my neighbor. That's meant to begin me enjoying the better life Jesus came to give. Now, at some point, Jesus is going to say, okay, knock that off. you got to stop that. And we might say, whoa, you mean you want me to stop? And then we fill in the blank. You fill in your own blank. I'm not going to give you that blank because I don't want you to miss what God is saying by focusing on what I say. So God says, I want you to stop doing that. And we think, but God, it's only a little thing. Well, what we say earlier, if it's important to God, it's a big thing. So when God says, don't do that or stop doing that, he means it. Maybe you've been doing it all your life. Well, if God says, knock it off, he means knock it off. And he does that. Why? So that you can have this better life he keeps talking about. The more our lives conform to his plan and his teachings, the better our lives get. I'm not going to promise you'll never have another problem. That's not the point. That's, that's, that's not at all what the Bible says. But the Bible is quite clear that when we follow the pattern of Jesus and when we live our lives in alignment with the truth, our lives are better. And the more we align ourselves with the truth, the better our lives get. It's really that simple. That's the reason it's so problematic that so many people today are refusing to believe the truth. They're turning away in all kinds of crazy directions because they don't want to. They don't want to believe the truth. They want to make it up for themselves, and they want God to go along with them. So let's think about how that might work itself out in, in daily life. Now we've talked about some of the biblical things. Let's, let's apply that in a couple of places. So I don't know that anybody has ever said this to me, but it seems to be a fairly common question when you read about people's questions and concerns that they'll say something like this, I can't believe in a God that would send me to hell just because I don't believe in him. Well, that's kind of a weird statement if you think about it, but let's be respectful and let's consider it. I can't believe in a God who would send me to hell just because I don't believe in him. Okay, a couple of things. It's understandable. I get it. We all get it. You would easily choose to go to heaven over choosing to go to hell because everybody who has even a modest understanding that heaven is a better place than hell doesn't want to go to hell. I get that. Okay, I can accept that. But there's a little deeper indication there. If you don't want to accept God as he has revealed himself to us, now, why would you be so favorably inclined to live in a heaven that he creates for people that want to follow him and want to align their lives with the truth? You see, if you you can't accept God now, why would you think you'd be happy then? Just because it's not as hot as the other place? Well, you need to come to grips with that. You need to think about that. There's a little deeper stuff going on there than simply saying, yeah, I'd rather choose in the choose to live in the nice place instead of the not nice place. All right? Just because it's the better of two options, I think I would encourage you to think about that a little bit more. You're not really being honest 
if you don't go a little deeper on that question. The second concern is this. A lot of times we use the word believe in a way that is not consistent with the way the New Testament uses that word or wants us to understand that word. We tend to believe that belief is separating that which is true from that which is false. Okay, so when someone says, just because I don't believe in him, they're implying that they just don't want to accept what God says is true or that what God says about himself is true or they don't want to believe the truthfulness of something related to God. Well, the New Testament word that we usually translate believe refers to a lot more than simply sorting out the truth and falsehood of that. Our usual definition of believe is accept as true. So if I believe something, I accept it as true. But the New Testament calls for a much more significant understanding of that word that we use and translate as belief. What the New Testament is calling people to when it says believe, it's calling them to give allegiance to Jesus the Messiah. That's what the Bible means. That's what the New Testament means when it says believe. You see, the demons believe in Jesus. They believe it's true, but they don't give allegiance to Jesus. So we might have to wrestle with that a little bit more than we usually do. You know, we might need to come to grips with this belief idea is really significant. It's not just, okay, I believe the Bible because it tells the truth. It means that I'm going to faithfully follow what the Bible says. I'm going to pledge allegiance to Jesus. I'm going to live a life of faithfulness to and agreement with what Jesus tells me to do. See, that's the point of when Jesus said, I am come to give life, abundant life, give it to the full, give life to the full. Well, that life to the full hinges on following his instructions. So belief really is allegiance to Jesus. So what's your next step? Don't worry about everything. Just take the next step God's calling you to. Another reason that we need to consider this truth idea is that uh, we live in a world that is making up stuff like we can't believe, and it's really well illustrated by the whole gender conversation that's going on these days. Gender and reality seem to be having a real problem with some people. It is absolutely easy to demonstrate that a person is either male or female. That's the reality. There's just no getting around that some people are men and some people are women. I'm not a biologist. I'm not a scientist. But I understand that the biological reality is that down to the cellular level, we can determine whether someone is male or female. Doesn't require too much to understand that. So that's conforming to reality, that you are either male or female. If you want to look at it from a theological perspective, go back to the Genesis story and God says, I created people male and female. It's very clear about that. It's not complicated. It's clear. The problem today is not that we can understand it. It's not that people have trouble understanding it. It's not that we can't realize that being male or female is obvious. It's we don't want to. And we get mixed up. 
and we start down the road of deception. And so we make outrageous statements like, I was born in the wrong body. No, you were not. God didn't make a mistake. Look at reality and conform your life to reality. That's what we're talking about. When people refuse to conform their lives to reality, they go down the road of deception and it ends up in delusion and it ends up in celebrating that which God says is unrighteous and it leads to condemnation. So truth is a recognition of reality. So when we have these gender challenges, shall we say, where people struggle with that, they need to look at reality and believe the truth that is revealed in that reality. There's another connection to truth that this one has irritated me for a while, and so we should talk about that here too. You probably heard it said in one way or another, not necessarily with these words, but you've probably heard it in popular literature. It's even said to children, follow your heart. Follow your heart. See, we're admonished to trust our feelings. Follow your heart. And it sounds so good when they put grand orchestration behind the song and flowery pictures and the image of a vision of how your life can be so great if you follow your heart. Really? Really follow your heart? What if it's in your heart to be an axe murderer? Do we want to have people follow their heart? I mean, really, give us a break here. What if it's in someone's heart to hurt children? Then they say, well, I'm following my heart. You told me to follow my heart. What if it's in my heart to hurt children? No, don't do that. Don't follow your heart. What if it's in your heart to be a thief? No, don't be a thief. Don't follow your heart. Do I need to go on? Where have we gotten this idea that we should follow our hearts? The Bible tells us the truth. The Bible tells us our hearts are messed up. All the way back to the prophet Jeremiah. Jeremiah told us this, The heart is devious above all else. It is perverse. Who can understand it? Then the Lord says, I, the Lord, test the mind and search the heart to give to all according to their ways, according to the fruit of their doings. See, Jeremiah understood. It's obvious. It's been obvious for years that we cannot trust our hearts and we should not follow our hearts. We need to do what is right. And Jeremiah, giving us the Lord's message, says that the Lord tests our minds and searches our hearts and gives us according to what we do. He looks at how we behave, so we need to conform our behavior to what God says in the Bible. It's not about saying, well, I believe, and then just walk off and do whatever we want to. No, it's I believe, and so we begin step by step, little ways, big ways, however you want to describe the ways, we follow God, and God understands us, and he tests us, and he gives to us according to what we do according to the way we behave. So, do not follow your heart. Your heart is devious above all else. It is perverse, Jeremiah says. That's pretty strong language. There's not too many people today that want to put that to music and say, your heart's devious. It's perverse. Don't follow it. Yikes! But it's true, and we need to hear it, and we need to pay attention to it. Years ago, it was all about feelings. And I remember hearing people say, if it feels good, do it. 
Well, that's preposterous. There's lots of things that I might enjoy doing that would be really harmful to my neighbor, and they wouldn't enjoy it at all. Well, why would we ever put forth the idea, if it feels good, do it? It's just preposterous. So we've talked about truth today. We've kind of gone through the idea of truth and Jesus being the way, the truth, and the life. We've talked about how absolutely dangerous it is to people to go down the road of falsehood. How Satan is eager to deceive you. And when you embrace that, God allows you to be deluded. It leads all the way down the path of destruction where you celebrate all the things that God says are wrong. You rejoice in what the Bible calls unrighteousness, and it leads to condemnation. I'm here to say, don't go down that road. Follow the one who says, I am the way and the truth and the life. He is the way because he solved the sin problem. He is the truth, and he tells us the truth, and he lives the truth. And he is the life because he came to give us the kind of life we always wanted to have but didn't know was possible. And he says, do what I tell you, and it's possible. You'll be amazed, and you will. So live the life. Enjoy that abundant life. Follow the truth. And follow it all the way back here next week because we're going to talk about some more important things on Faith Is. I'm Pastor Rick Stevens. Thanks for joining me. Let's talk again next week.